Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome back to the Disney Movie Marathon. Today's episode is the first of a recurring series looking at the different eras of Disney animation history. Disney fans have mostly agreed on seven distinct periods of Disney history, with films that are all grouped together for a variety of reasons, partly to do with what was going on within the Disney company, and partly to do with what was going on in the world at large. The second period is called the wartime era, if that's any indication. But either way, every decade or two usually ushers in a new era, and my friends Eli Sanza and Mark Brown are going to be joining me as we come to them to break them all down for you. In this first era episode, we're talking about the Disney Golden Age, the shortest of all the Disney eras, spanning just six years and five films, from 1937 with the release of Snow White to 1942 with the release of Bambi. A lot of people would be surprised to learn just how brief this period is, but the golden age of Disney was likely cut short by the US's involvement in World War II, but we'll talk about that when we get there. In the meantime, let's just jump right into the golden age of Disney with Mark and Eli. Okay, so I guess we'll start with our general thoughts on the golden age, the very first period of Disney film animation. Oh yeah, the golden age, which I, which I think we all agree, the golden age was uh, 1937 when Snow White came out, ended probably 1942 when Bambi came out. So that's the period that I'm talking about. Uh, important one in like all animation history. It was like those the, the five movies that they made in in that period were like they were it was practically creative peak of like of the Disney artists. Like mm-hmm. the creative peak of the the creative peak of the Disney Renaissance was like Little Mermaid to Lion King. This one, the the one that came earlier, like Snow White to Bambi. Mm-hmm. Like is like the one for the classic animated, and and these movies are like so masterfully crafted in their in everything their characters, their stories, the, the writing, the gags, the music is like brilliant. They're all brilliant. Like and Bambi is like probably like the pinnacle of it because I think that was like the like dramatic high points. Because like, oh, now we're, okay, we went from Snow White to a movie about like someone's parent just died. And like, it's like they kept pushing the envelope more and more. It was like, it was like the, a great representation of Walt Disney's like filmmaking philosophy, like too. So that whole period is just outstanding to me. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts, Mark? The Golden Age, I think. Eli said pretty much everything. It's definitely one of the most important ages of the um, animation from just started from Snow White pretty much without the golden age. <laughs> I don't know where both Disney or animation would be. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Well, we can start by talking about the very first movie, Snow White. Well, let's talk like general thoughts and if you remember when you first saw it for me, I don't remember exactly when I first saw it. I just remember we were at somebody's house and they played it for us. And it wasn't one that we watched a lot as a kid. Like when my brothers and I were all kids, I don't remember watching this very much. I remember that one time watching it and maybe we borrowed it from the library sometime after that, but it wasn't one we went back to a lot when we were kids. Yeah. I, um, I watched this a lot as a kid, and I remember having access to the VHS tape, but I don't remember the first time I ever saw it, as, as long as I knew I've seen it. Yeah, like, I I remember this this one wasn't one of the movies that we grew up with in my house when I was a kid. We, I It took me a long time to see this movie. I always wanted to see it because I've seen clips of it on other videos that we had, and I've heard that it was, like, the first animated Disney feature film and but but I didn't watch it until like I was a teenager when I when they finally borrowed it on VHS and it maybe it was because I didn't have a childhood attached into it that I wasn't a huge fan of it. I was more into other movies. Like I appreciated it later though. Like like I said, I always appreciate things when I watch it when I'm older and this one I can see why it was so highly regarded. 
But yeah, it took me a long time to finally watch it. I did not grow up with it. So is there anything about Snow White that really stands out to you as like extremely memorable or extremely important? I think everything about it from the, uh, it laid the foundation for what we would expect in terms of quality of Disney animation. It started the, uh, um, it was the first Disney princess. So it laid that foundation Mm -hmm. of what a Disney princess would be like. It, gave us songs and what we'd expect from a Disney movie. It gave us characters, supporting characters and main characters, gave us a villain that was iconic. Pretty much everything that we expect from a Disney movie was because of Snow White. I never really thought about that before, but Snow White basically laid the groundwork for, (laughs) for pretty much every recognizable Disney trope. Yeah, that was, that was one of the most significant things about the movie. The fact that it was like, it, laid the groundwork it was like everything that people associated with disney films was started with that one and i think it's it's still well i know some people may disagree but i think it still holds up pretty well today yeah no i totally agree it's completely watchable both from an entertainment perspective and an artistic perspective but i don't get bored watching this film yeah yeah it's like some people say that it's like dated like some parts of the movie are dated, but like those things don't necessarily mean that it's um, it's, it's not a good movie. Like I yeah. I I don't know if I would call it a masterpiece. It's more like I'd like I I'd call it like nine out of ten. Mm-hmm. Like if I were gonna if I were gonna give it a rating, but like nine out of ten is still like a great movie. Like yeah. a lot of people probably would disagree with me that like I when I say like Pinocchio and Bambi and Dumbo are tens. And Snow White is a nine ten. People would probably think, "How could I not give Snow White a ten if I gave all those other ones a ten? It's like it's just because you know some things about it seem like just noticeably like old fashioned, but it's still like um, it's in a league of its own, basically, and it's, mm-hmm. in terms of all the animated movies that ever came out. And that's not me saying it's. But I don't like it. It's a fantastic movie. It's like I I, I also never get bored watching it. By the way. It's just because I just, uh, there are details in that movie that I appreciate more, that I appreciate when I watch it again, that I didn't notice when I yeah. watch it other times. It's like, and that, that constantly happens when I rewatch it. Yeah. The, the scene with her in the forest, uh, any scene in the castle, there's always little details that you can look for. And the dwarf's house, for that matter, they've got all the little designs, like hidden, carved into the floor and everything. The bedposts, everything has details yeah. that you can look for. I think one thing a lot of people forget is this is based on a fairy tale. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to feature a lot of fairy tale tropes. So, so like, I mean, like I personally don't consider the movie at all dated or old fashioned, just because I, I know mm-hmm. that, you know, it, it we're going to get the stuff that are in fairy tales. I mean, that's kind of part of the package. Yeah. Recently people have been talking online about their, they're all upset about the fact that the Prince kisses Snow White, without her consent, which, <laughs> I mean... It's such I, it's, a stupid idea. Uh, don't get excited. This is, we're not talking about real life here. This is, this is literally a fairy tale, and that's how he breaks the curse. Yeah, it's... Supposed to leave her dead? Yeah, yeah exactly. No, no kid is going to watch that and come to the conclusion of kissing random sleeping people. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty clear in the movie that this is the result of a curse and that is how the curse is broken. It's one of those things where it feels like people are trying to find a controversy where there is none. Well, yeah. Like, this well, this is part of the thing that makes people say it's dated. Like, they say that the relationship between Snow White and the Prince was really shallow. Like, it was like, oh, love at first sight. And then as soon as they meet, suddenly they're just, in love, which is fine, which is fine. I don't, I don't really hold anything against that because it's a fantasy fairy tale film, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. As long as the characters are entertaining and the writing is good, the dialogue is good and stuff. Like it's a well-made film. I don't mind that. The aspect of the kissing her, uh, where like a bunch of people are up in arms about like consent. Uh, those people, I argued on Twitter about that. And I said, okay, yes, he is 
kissing her without her consent. Or it's a fairy tale movie about a man who kisses the woman that he loves, and it's a man who he loves, and it's because of their love for each other that he is able to revive her with the kiss. Because, like, remember the ingredients in that Poison Apple said that he would be awoken by true love's kiss. So mm-hmm. any man couldn't just walk up to her and kiss her and then save her life. Like it had to be someone who truly loved her. So that was the aspect of it that it seems like people are missing in when they're complaining about that. Mm-hmm. Although, I, although, like I, although, like you said, people do like to complain just to find yeah. controversy where there is none. And this is, I feel like, a, an example of that. Yeah. yeah, especially with the Disney princesses as a whole. So, like, I know, I know you guys are too, and I am a big Disney princess defender. Oh yeah, and I know Snow White especially gets Snow White gets a lot of flack. Um, the people could complain about her voice. I don't know what's wrong. I never found any problem with her voice. People complain that she cooks. I mean, she was never forced to cook. I, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. They just go away. Yeah. Exactly. They think he's too he's too feminine or something like that. And I'm like and or anytime anytime a woman is like cooking for a man or wearing a dress or doing things like that, it's, it's like it seems like people have a problem with it because it seems like this is too stereotypically feminine. But they never they'd say that but they never take into account whether the woman is choosing to do these things. And if it's her yeah. choice, then it's fine. People, they want to view things in their version of black and white. They have, they have these set ideas about what things should be, which are the opposite of what, how things used to be. And they don't want things to be crossing back and forth. And they don't want to think about people choosing, like you said, the choosing to do these things for themselves. Yeah, but that's the key. You have to, that's the key to feminism, though. You have to, like, let women do what they want to do, not tell them what to do. Even if they want to be the stereotypical person, like somebody from the 1940s, even if that's what they want to be. (laughs) Yeah, and actually, I do find myself defending Disney princesses. Just like you said, Mark, I find myself defending Disney princesses, too. It's like, it's because there's just an anti-girly thing going on that seems like people are... Well, at least uh, Snow White, we we got her back. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this will probably come up again when we get to the Silver Age and talk about Cinderella, because there's a lot of similar arguments about Cinderella. (laughs) Oh, I could go on. Literally every single princess. Yeah, I could go on. We'll save that for a future podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I guess now we can move on to Pinocchio. We had the girl movie now it's the boy movie if you want to view them in that right in that light (laughs) well i was gonna say i watched it the most i maybe i did maybe i didn't pinocchio is one that i owned so when we were kids we had very few movies on vhs this is one of two disney movies that we owned we also had aladdin and those got the most repeat play in our house so Pinocchio, for a time, was probably the one that I was the most familiar with. And it's kind of funny because people nowadays talk about Pinocchio like it's super traumatizing and dark. And I guess now that I'm an adult, I can see that. But I never saw that when I was a kid. <laughs> like the donkey transformation scene, I don't think that bothered me when I was a kid. It bothers me now more as an adult, but it's more because of the implications of what's happening to the children rather than the transformation itself, even though they do kind of frame it like a horror movie. But it didn't bother me as a kid, and I don't know why. <laughs> I'm exactly the same. When people, when a lot of um, people our age talk about scenes that traumatize them as kids, especially in Pinocchio, I I was fine with them when I was a kid. Like I, <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't traumatized. I, I, I knew there were bad things happening, but I was more of the kid that was like, oh no, what's going to happen next? Instead of the yeah. kid that, like i guess savored not savored but um sat there with the moment yeah it it didn't yeah. bother me at all <laughs> no it didn't bother me really either. like i wasn't a big easily scared kid when it came to like certain movies i was more like intrigued by the drama of it all i was like appreciating it like i liked like i to this day i still like appreciate like good drama and that was how i was 
seeing it. I wasn't seeing it. This is a scary moment. I want to like run under the covers and leave the room. It wasn't never like that, especially not with Pinocchio. Because Pinocchio, I could tell Pinocchio was like a, a good movie. And I, like even when I was younger, although, although like Snow White, I also didn't own this one. And it took me like a while to actually finally watch it. So I don't know how I would have reacted to it when I was younger. But like it was never a moment when I didn't like the movie or you know, appreciate it. Probably just one of those things where different care- kids are scared of different things, and this one didn't trigger my fear response in any way. Yeah, although I do recognize why people were traumatized by it. I mean, it was yeah. what happens to the kids who t- turn into donkeys is pretty freaking terrifying when you think about it. Especially because you never see them again. They're basically trafficked into slavery. And the the weird thing was that I don't think I realized it until I did a podcast with my cousin Sarah. We were talking about it. It was like, none of the bad guys in this receive any sort of comeuppance. Like, they all get away with literally every evil thing that they're doing and presumably continue their evil deeds forever or what, however long. They, they continue to kidnap and enslave children. They're never stopped. Yeah. I mean, you could argue Lampoy. Lampoy is the only one that gets comeuppance. <laughs> <laughs> I guess <Right>. so. <laughs> arguably. Yeah, arguably Lampoy got his comeuppance. <laughs> Although what happened to him was so terrible, you ended up feeling sorry for him. Am I right? <laughs> True. He got his comeuppance and then some. Yeah, but you're right though. All the villains in that movie, none of them get, none of uh, they all get away with it, and that's rare for a Disney film. Yeah, I think I think it's also due to the source material. Pinocchio itself is a very dark um, story. That's right. Yeah, this I I don't remember the entire book. I do remember reading or having the book read to us when we were kids, and I remember it being a lot darker and a lot more. I think even violent. I think at one point the cricket gets killed. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's true. Yeah, yeah, the cricket's not a... He does die. Yeah. yeah. The cricket was only in one scene in the book, and he died after. <laughs> okay, I didn't remember it being that, sh- that short of a time with the cricket. I thought he was in more than that, but it's been a very, very, very long time since I've read that book. I think there's a scene, if I'm not mistaken, where Pinocchio almost gets hanged, if I'm not mistaken. I think you might be right. Yeah, yeah you, that could be. But, uh, but also going back to what you said, Jonathan, about you thought the cricket might have been in more than more scenes than that. He did, the cricket does return to go. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that's what you're talking about. I think Disney did the right thing and made the cricket Jiminy Cricket instead. That's probably one of my favorites. Yeah. Supporting characters. Of yeah. Disney. Mine too. The, the movie needed somebody like him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember talking about that. Like, I, that Jiminy Cricket was one of the most important characters in the movie because he, without him, the movie would have been way darker and more depressing. Like, if you think about it. My favorite line of his is when he's like, You butter your bread, now sleep in it. <laughs> there was a lot of funny lines from him in that movie. Yeah. It's like, what does an actor want with a conscience anyway? <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting one. Yeah, yeah, he he had a lot of good lines. Yeah, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, he that was another reason why he was so important. He was like the comic relief, and he was funny. He's also kind of like, I mean, I guess the Blue Fairy too, but like Geppetto is not a very good. <laughs> parental figure Jiminy kind of has to take that role because Geppetto is basically like he gets this son and then the very next day he sends him off into the world with like no knowledge of what the world is it's like oh you're a kid so you gotta go to school get out there doesn't tell him how to get to school he just sends him out the door and by the way, he's a he's a wooden puppet, and he thinks people are just going to accept him. Like, uh, like, no wonder, no wonder, like he got like sidetracked on his way to school, like because a puppeteer literally kidnapped him the first day. It's like yeah. he's going to see, he's going to know something bad is going to happen. Uh, yeah. Well, the third movie in the Golden Age is probably my favorite. And I think we've had this discussion before, but I, I, that sentiment is not shared in this group. <laughs> but <laughs> Fantasia 
I did not own Fantasia, but for some reason, it was one that I watched a lot. And it was one of my favorite movies as a kid, which is very weird because like Fantasia is barely a kid's movie. Like there's some scenes kids will like. I, I don't know why I love this movie so much. I, my grandpa had this. So that was the only kid's movie that we could watch at their house. And then I knew another family. I At this point, I don't remember who they were, but I knew somebody else who owned this movie. Anytime we went to that place, I knew they had Fantasia. I wanted to watch Fantasia. I loved the dinosaurs. That's probably why I loved the movie so much. But I liked the whole thing. So I don't know. <laughs> it's like I was willing to put up with the slower parts because I knew the dinosaurs were coming. Because at that point, I don't think there were that many movies with dinosaurs. So it was kind of like a rare thing. I'm not even sure I'd heard of The Land Before Time. So yeah, this is like the only way I could see a movie with dinosaurs. So I loved it for that. I also loved the Pegasus scenes. But yeah, it's a weird movie for a kid to like. But for some reason, I loved this movie. Well, I guess it's my turn. <laughs> yeah, you you go. So, as um, as both Eli and Jonathan know, I'm I'm not a fan of this movie at all. This is actually my absolute. I'm getting a lot of hate for this, but it's my absolute least favorite in the entire Disney canon. Wow! Um, I think it's the most boring movie I've uh, in the canon as well. Uh, I recognize it for its art. I recognize it for what it, what it, its importance. But I would much rather watch Fantasia 2000 over this. I would much rather watch Chicken Little or Home on the Range over this. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's uh, that's all I gotta say. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. No. Mark and I have talked about this movie before. He has. He's told. We've had conversations about how he doesn't like this movie. And I, I totally respect his opinion about it because I know, I know people in my family who don't like Fantasia. So I understand, and I've talked to them about it too. So I understand what you're all thinking because it, it, when you think about it, it's sort of like an untraditional kind of Disney film. It's, it's mm-hmm. really different from all the others. So I wouldn't, so I'm not surprised that people, some people don't like it. The reason why I love it though is because I I am okay, so I, I love classical music. That's one thing. Like that that told me. But I also really love animation too. And if you combine animation and classical music, that's like the perfect film for me. But and and but I also the main reason why I love it is because it's it's just it's like unbridled like creativity basically like something that you can't do in any other Disney film it's just like just come up with like the evolution of dinosaurs and set it to the music of Igor Stravinsky <laughs> have a ballet with dancing flowers have Mickey Mouse turn him into a wizard have like a demon god on top of a mountain summon the dead like you and it all happens in the same movie and it's all brilliantly like animated and set to music brilliantly too and it's like it's just it's just i think it's just like a a, an extravaganza and then it just catches my attention from beginning to end just because of the sheer artistic power of the whole film it's like it's completely different from any other movie and that's kind of why i like it so much it's because of just how different and how walt disney kind of pushed the envelope when he was making it trying to create something memorable and different and creative and and almost all the segments in the movie i love yeah i feel pretty much the same way and one thing that i just thought of kind of tying back to our discussion about pinocchio the the final scene with chernabog that's another thing that people always talk about as a traumatizing childhood movie memory oh yeah for some reason that didn't bother me one bit i don't know why (laughs) it seems like something that should have (laughs) but i was not scared i was not phased i just watched it and whatever i didn't care at all it did not bother me a bit i don't know why 
Do, do you do you remember what your reaction to it was? We just were you just like amazed by it? I I don't I don't know if I had any reaction other than just watching it because it was interesting. Uh, well, see, I I watched Night on Bald Mat when I was a kid. It was like I before I actually watched Fantasia, I saw the some of the they some of the segments in the film on their own outside of the context of the movie. I saw Source with Apprentice, Night on Bald Mountain, and Dance of the Hours because they aired clips of the movie on Disney Channel sometimes. And, uh, and also, I think they showed clips of them on the, on the Wonderful World of Disney, like before it was called the Wonderful World of Disney, when it was called like Walt Disney Presents, like in the 50s, because they aired reruns of the Walt Disney narrated like anthology series on Disney Channel too. And they showed clips of the Fantasia on that sometimes. That was when I first saw it. And I remember it was, I, I wasn't really creeped out by it either. It was just really, I'd never seen anything like it and I was mesmerized by it, but it wasn't scary. I, could, I understood why other people found it scary because it is pretty, pretty creepy. But yeah, it was, I, was, I was kind of saying, I was just glued to the screen basically. When did you first see this, Mark? I saw the Legion Life because it was one of the last ones in the canon that I hadn't seen. I want to say maybe eight years ago, something like that. Okay, so you didn't have a chance to be traumatized as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) For me, I think my favorite parts are probably the dinosaurs and the Pegasus scenes. That's that's the thing that brought me back over and over again as a kid. I loved those scenes, and I was willing to sit through any of the slower parts because I knew those scenes were coming. I know you don't like the movie as a whole, but is there any parts that you actually like or would watch on their own? I do like the um, Sorcerer's Apprentice scene. So, I mean, I get I get to enjoy that in Fantasia 2000 anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, I do like that. What about you, Eli? Do you have any favorite parts? Um, it's it's hard to say because I love so many of them, but uh, but if I but if I had to choose like a part that like really stood out, um, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, just like Mark said, uh, that's probably my favorite scene in the whole movie because everything about that segment with Mickey Mouse uh, is just perfectly done from the storytelling to how it sets to the music. Like that was the that was the. Mm, most polished of all of them. Uh, but I also really love Dance of the Hours. Dance of the Hours, the one with the hippo and the alligator. That one is probably my second favorite because that was really that was really funny and creative, I thought too. But I also really loved the dinosaurs just like you, Jonathan. And I also really loved the ending with Chernabog because uh, I'm like a sucker for uh, like images of like demons and darkness and it because those are really those can be really creative that can be really creative monster designs like can inspire me when i was a kid when i saw those because i liked drawing stuff like that horned creatures and things mm. and uh, but i also really loved how um also really loved how at the end it sort of was a, there was a hopeful tone when uh, these pilgrims holding candles marching in the distance and how it, how it was like we went from evil to hope. I thought that was a good ending for the movie too. Yeah. Okay. Well, if we can move on from one of the most experimental and artistic movies into one of probably Walt's safest bets, yeah. <laughs> which was Dumbo. This one, I think I watched once as a kid and never again until adulthood. <laughs> so this is probably one of the movies that I'm mo- least familiar with because I barely remembered it as a kid. I knew it existed because I'd seen it the one time, but it must not have made that much of an impression on me because we never borrowed it from the library again like we did with other movies that we really loved. So this one... I guess it's not really one of my favorites, but that doesn't have to do with the quality of the movie. It's just the fact that I haven't watched it very much. I watched this one quite a bit growing up, and again, it's not—it's probably not like my top ten favorite, but I do—I do enjoy it. I think, it, like you said, it's—it's it's a safe bet, and it's a safe movie. And funny enough, this is when when the library started to 
get DVDs for the first time. I remember this was the first DVD I borrowed from the library and we had just gotten like a DVD player for the first time. <laughs> hmm. I also didn't grow up with this movie either. It was like something I watched later in life. But, uh, but, but when I watched it, it was really good. It was like, I remember loving it. And I do think it's like a masterpiece, I, I, like a little bit underrated by a lot of people because yeah, yeah, it's not as ambitious as Bambi and Snow White and Pinocchio or Fantasia. It's like sort of like the low budget, hour long, cute movie about the baby elephant that's sort of like underlooked. But I do think it's really well done. It's really well animated, well directed. That's the animation of Dumbo by Bill Titla is really emotional. And the creativity of certain scenes and certain characters is really, it's really top notch. I think it's like the, it's, it's actually, I, if I were ranking the, all the feature films in the Disney canon, it prob- I probably would put it in my top three probably like up there with the uh, renaissance films like lion king and aladdin i probably would put it in there because that's how much i loved it and i, I and one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the pink elephants on parade segment because that is probably this might be the reason why it's so high on my list that scene was probably my favorite scene in any dis in any disney movie that was ever made i just loved how creative that scene and how unpredictable it was that's kind of another one that people turn to as like their traumatic childhood memory <laughs> yeah they do that's right the people are scared by that yeah as it didn't bother me either <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we we're, we're made of steel, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I feel that Dumbo probably had the least scariest stuff compared to the other movies we've talked about. Yeah, probably. Yeah, there there were things that scared me as a kid, but not that. <laughs> no, no, I was too amazed by it. I loved I loved animation from like the day I was born. So I was just mostly just hypnotized by it. That was my reaction. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Dumbo is one of those that um, gets criticized now because of, I guess, the portrayal portrayal of the the crows and mm-hmm. the um, the song that they sing. Which I mean, when I was a kid, even now, I, I still I enjoy the crows. I I think they're fun characters, and I love the song. And um, uh, I think Eli had mentioned this um, to us before about you know how they did get um black actors black actors to voice most of the crows uh, the main one wasn't it was voiced by cliff edwards who was jimmy cricket but um i mean overall i i didn't enjoy the characters yeah yeah that's true they were voiced by like the hall johnson choir which is made up of black actors and they and i do like the crows they the crows are fun characters like i always i never thought of them when you're a kid and you watch the crows you don't think of them as stereotypes you just think of them as characters purely right. just characters and if you and if you look at it at that perspective they're fun mm-hmm. and they were my favorite characters because they did a good job humanizing the crows and making them seem like compassionate and actually like good allies and like they, they didn't disrespect the crows in any way so i did like that how they like they respected them as characters so they're not like bad characters if you like their origins of being based in like minstrel shows and like the attitudes of like a lot of like black actors and how they acted and how they were a little little stereotypical in there in the way they talked that that the origins aren't great but but if you just take them at face value and just uh, uh, judge them on their own they i actually do actually do appreciate them as characters and the, and the way they portrayed them yeah i feel like this is one of those things that you need to think of it from a historical perspective and realize that it was made in the time that it was made and we can't change that if they made this movie now they would do things differently but it wasn't made now. So I feel like it's not one of those things that it's worth getting upset about because it was made when it was made. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel. Thank you for saying that because that's exactly how I feel. Like it's like a lot of movies don't hold up and they will never hold up because they were made in 
the 30s or 40s, and it's impossible for them to hold up. Mm-hmm. And we recognize the problems with them now, and we would never do them today. So there's no, so like you said, there's no point in getting upset about it. And and I'm a, and I always and I'm a historian. I have a historian brain, so I'm always thinking about stuff like this, and that's always been my attitude. Yeah. yeah every every movie is made, you know, for the time and during mm-hmm. the time that it's made. I mean, even now, like, what there are movies that were made what ten years ago that people are finding problems with now. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's only 10 years ago, much less something that was 70, 80 years ago. Yeah. A lot of people actually don't like it when people, like, when you point out movies from the old days are bad because they think sometimes that if they like it, that means that they're racist or something. Or they make, or they make me feel guilty for liking it if you point out that it's wrong. But there's actually nothing wrong with liking a movie with a stereotype in it or something like that as long as you recognize that the stereotype is wrong and yeah. because because movies because movies are multifaceted there are multiple things about all movies that are enjoyable some parts of a movie are good some parts are bad as long as you recognize that and you're smart about it then there's nothing wrong with it mm-hmm. it's kind of like people like there's no person that's going to like be the exact person like nobody's perfect like that's a, such a cliched saying nobody's perfect but that's that's like with the movies no movie is perfect yeah exactly it's it's all subjective there's going to be something that somebody's going to find wrong with everything some somebody's going to be upset about something and you just have to recognize that you can't change things you just have to take the good with the bad and i don't know where i'm going with this but you know you know what i mean it's like you can't change <laughs> no, the past not. yeah just learn from it and move on yeah yeah well the important thing is to recognize when something is problematic and like understand it and that's what's important as long as you do that then it's fine well from a movie that wasn't controversial when it was made and is controversial now to a movie that was controversial when it's made and is a lot less so now bambi which was one of my favorite movies as a kid, and I don't think it ever crossed my mind that anyone could have a problem with Bambi until I started reading about it. And apparently, people hated Bambi back when it came out, especially hunters. <laughs> well, what was the controversy about the portrayal of man? Yeah, well, hunters in particular were very upset about Bambi because they felt like they were being portrayed as evil. Nah. Which they kind of were. <laughs> they kind of were. There was a whole controversy about this movie when it came out, and hunters were up in arms. <laughs> yeah, Bambi was not was not well liked when it came out. Yeah, I heard about that. I heard about hunters not liking it. I also heard some people didn't like it because it had to do with when it was released. It was released in 1942, and in 1942, it was a really hectic time in the world because that was right in the middle of World War II. And we, everyone is thinking about Nazis and everyone is thinking about going to war. And nobody really wanted to see this quaint, happy little movie about a deer because it didn't like meet the time. It, it came out at a time that where it didn't really fit the mood of the country. It was like, it was a, it was always a good movie, but like, it, it, I feel like that wasn't the right time to release it. And it bombed at the box office. So it, I was pretty correct. Although that might have had something to do with the, you know, the European market being cut off because of the war. But yeah, yeah, it had a lot of things going against it when it came out. Yeah, I think for me, it's a movie that I appreciate it and respect it more now than I do like it. This was one of the movies I grew up with. It was like it was like the first movie I ever watched because my mom gave me this movie on VHS when I was like a little kid, and I was like a baby, and for Christmas, for Christmas, and so it was the first time I ever. It was the first movie I ever watched. I still think I I like it as much as I did when I was younger. I still think it's like a masterpiece. Like. The thing I like most about it is that it's a lot different from uh, any other animated movie that uh, most other animated movies because it's not a plot that's very easy to explain. It's a, it's it's mostly just a series of things happening. It's, the, it's basically like the life of a baby deer growing up mm-hmm. from spring to summer to fall to winter, and it's just living his life, and there's no 
There's no villain. There's a villain, but it's not a traditional villain. You don't see the villain. And no one in the movie sings. It's, there's no, it's not a musical, really. It's like, uh, arguably, it's, there's a little bit of a musical, but it's, but the, most of the characters don't sing. And it's just, just like, uh, it's, it's not a traditional kind of movie at all. It's just, it's just completely creative and, and how it just, it's just a life. It's just mm-hmm. forest life. But it's still compelling to me, though. The title of the book that Bambi is based on is Bambi, A Life in the Woods. So <laughs> right. the, there's a lot of things that they changed about the book, but they kept that aspect of it. It's the story of a baby deer growing up in the forest. You know, I never read that book, but I wonder how that book goes. Because, like, how do you, how do you it write is a book? It is incredibly dark. I read it as a kid. Oh. It is not a kid's book. <laughs> it is incredibly dark. They they sanitized so many things for the movie. Okay. Wow. It is not a kid's book at all. Interesting. There's there's one scene in this that has stuck with me as through to this day. Like I don't remember everything about the book, but there's one scene that stuck with me from when I was a kid. There was a deer that they were friends with, Bambi, I think Bambi Feline and maybe another deer. I don't remember all the deers in their group, but they were friends with this deer named Gobo. And when he was a kid, he went off to live with humans. So years later, they find him again when they're all adults. And he's trying to explain to them, no, humans aren't bad. There's no reason to be afraid of them. And then later on, there's man is in the forest. So he's like, here, I'll show you. I'll just go, I'll show you that there's nothing to be afraid of. He gets shot right in front of them. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Bambi was not a children's story, but they somehow managed to make it one. (laughs) Disney's kind of good at that. Interesting. Yeah, he is, isn't he? Wow. Yeah, that that deer never showed up in the movie. (laughs) Why? I wonder why. I wonder why. <laughs> why? Why? Choice? My God! Uh, I didn't know that that was a, that wasn't the children's book until now. That's good to know. Interesting. Yeah. No, it's not a kids' book. I don't think. I don't think he wrote any books that were for kids, but a lot of them have been made into movies that are for family audiences, like. Um, the Shaggy Dog, that's another one of his books. Oh, yeah. I, I, don't, I haven't read that one, but I don't think it's a kid's book. I'd have to read it to find out. But most of his books are very dark and they are more naturalistic. Like they're trying to paint a realistic version of how life would be in the woods. Like it's hard for animals. So yeah, most of them are not really kids, aimed at kids. Right. Wow. Well, that was smart that he changed it because that movie would not have worked if he was a straight adaptation. I'll tell you that. No, there's another passage in the book that's basically two leaves contemplating the meaning of life before falling to the earth <laughs> dead. Oh, <laughs> it's like in fall. I heard about that. I can totally see that as like animated short or something. Yeah. I think they might have storyboarded something with that. And part of it sort of ended up in the movie like there's a shot. Like the leaves are not talking, of course, but there's like a shot of two leaves at the beginning of autumn that are it's like focusing on the leaves and then they fall and are floating down. So it's like a nod to that scene, but it's not that scene. Yeah, yeah, I totally remember the scene where the two leaves are falling together. Like I didn't know they had a backstory where they were friends. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I heard of that though. That's interesting. But yeah, Bambi was one of my favorite movies as a kid. And that's why I read the book, because I loved the movie so much. I was like, I got to read the book this is based on. And then it turned up in the library's free box, because the the library would have this box of like old magazines and books that they would give away to anybody who wanted them. And Bambi showed up there along with its sequel, Bambi's Children. And I grabbed both of them. I was like, I can finally read these. And yeah, it, it wasn't. I was not the target audience for them, but I read them anyway. Yeah, I didn't realize it was a sequel book too. Yeah, yeah, they never made the sequel. Yeah, they never made the sequel. But they did make a Bambi. They made a Bambi too. 
but <laughs> Bambi Two has nothing to do with the sequel. The sequel is exactly. called Bambi's Children. Ah, okay, right. And I think Disney has announced a live-action remake, like a like a like how they did with the Lion King from yeah. Bambi. I I I wonder. Well, first I wonder how how that will work. But I also wonder, are they going to just remake the movie or are they going to stick closer to the book? Because if they just remake the movie, it's one of those things where like, I'm like, does this really need to exist? But if they are trying to do it closer to the book, I'm curious and interested because <laughs> the book the book could could work as a very different kind of movie. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I, I only think they should do live action remakes if they if they completely change it from the animated movie. Otherwise, I don't see the point. I, I did not like the live action or whatever you call it, the 2019 version of The Lion King because it felt yeah. pointless. It was just a it was just the worst version of the animated movie, basically, just with character faces that were more stiff and less lifelike. That was all it basically was to me, and I and mm-hmm. that's why I'm dreading the rest of the remakes that they're making. Just, as long as they make it different or give it a reason to exist, I'm fine with it. But don't do yeah. a straight like, remake. Yeah. I'm not inherently against remakes like a lot of people are, but I do think that they need to have a reason to exist other than just making a different version of the same story. Because like with yeah. The Lion King, when they first announced they were making that, I think even one of the producers was like, saying that it was not going to be a remake, like a shot-for-shot shot remake. It was going to be its own thing. And for some reason, I was thinking that they were going to make like a version of the stage musical, which I've never seen because I live in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and have no access to Broadway. Yeah. But I just I was hoping that that's what they were going to go for, was do a computer-animated animal version of the stage musical that has humans in animal costumes. I wish I wish they had done that. And then when I go to see this new version, I'm like, I mean, I'm not that familiar with the the original because that wasn't one we watched a lot as a kid. I probably watched it like once, but I recognized pretty much everything. I was like, I know this. I know what's happening. All the songs were the same, but worse. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. It was disappointing. I mean, it wasn't a terrible movie. I didn't think it was horrible like some people did, but it was one of those things where it was like this really didn't need to exist. Yeah. Which 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 one? The Lion King? The original or the remake. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was I didn't think it was horrible, but it wasn't good enough to justify its existence, I didn't think. Well, that's that's why I hope they don't do anything similar with Bambi. Yeah. Now I Bambi, if they I mean, not that I want them to exactly adapt the book, because like, who who's gonna who are they gonna be targeting that towards? Yeah. But like, I think it has potential if they do it right. I'm just they don't have a great track record with with these. Like the 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 remakes can be very hit or miss. Yeah, they can be. That's that's the suspense with it. It's like, is this gonna be good? Is this gonna be bad? Who knows? Yeah, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not inherently against them and i do i mean i guess i enjoy them for what they are but like to go back and i don't think they're like instant classics the way the animated ones are yeah agreed anyway that was kind of a rabbit trail (laughs) (laughs) that was fun i guess do we have any more thoughts about bambi before we close i already called it a masterpiece so i'm done that's that's the important I, I respect the movie. Well, before we close, I want to do a ranking. Like, let's let's go worst to best. And I don't think any of these are actually worst, but like least favorite to most favorite. So I guess, Eli, do you want to go first? Yeah, I would rank uh, these five movies from least favorite to most favorite. Uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Dumbo, Pinocchio, Fantasia, and my number one favorite is Bambi. Okay. So mine, mine would be Fantasia, of course. <laughs> um, Bambi, Dumbo, Snow White and Stone Dwarfs, and then Pinocchio. I feel like yours is almost, not exactly, but almost the exact opposite of mine. <laughs> nice. So my least favorite is Dumbo, just because it's the one I'm least familiar with. 
and then Pinocchio, Snow White, and then my top two are my childhood favorites, Bambi, and then Fantasia. So all three of us had different favorites and different least favorites. Yeah, very different. Yeah. (laughs) Which is fine. I think it's more interesting that way. Things would be boring if everybody agreed with everybody about everything. I agree. (laughs) Yeah. This This podcast would be way more boring if we were all saying the same thing. So, yeah, that's totally true. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me on this. This is a lot of fun. We'll have to eventually come back and do the next era in Disney animation, the package films or the war era. Oh, that's going to be fun. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very interesting era. It'll be fun when we get there. Yeah. Oh, I could talk all about those. Yeah. Okay. Well, until then, do you want to let people know where they can find you? Yeah, um, I am mostly on Twitter, and my handle is at eJunkie2014. That's why I nerd out, talk about all my favorites, like Disney films, and also just any film at all from any studio. Uh, and I also have a blog called the eJunkieBlog.com, and if you go to my Twitter, I'll send you the link to that. And that blog is where I talk about the history of films and TV shows and video games and animation and all kinds of neat stuff like that. Okay, and Mark? I have two blogs, The Animation Commendation at theanimationcommendation.com It's an animation-themed blog about animated movies, and I run my own game show there. And then I have a live-action Disney blog called myliveactiondisneyproject.com and I'm trying to review and watch every theatrically released live action Disney movie ever made. Okay. Well, I will have links down below for those. And I guess we will see you next time. See you real soon. <laughs> Thanks for inviting us. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Disney Movie Marathon. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform or to our YouTube channel. Make sure to follow my co-hosts as well. Any relevant links will be in the description for easy access. We'll be back soon with another brand new episode, so thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.